Well, I wanted to talk tonight about naming and unnaming things. Hmm, what does that mean? Um, <clears throat> you know, in Zen we talk, we use the moon a lot as an as a analogy. So, you know, there's that famous Zen phrase of, don't confuse the finger pointing at the moon with the moon. Uh, you know, that don't confuse our practice form with the result of practice. So I want to use the moon again tonight in a different analogy and, and a way to talk about our practice as often being um, more than we think it is. So Zen, like in the analogy where it says, don't confuse the finger pointing at the moon with the moon, Zen asks us to journey directly to the moon. Right, to go there and touch it for ourselves. So in, in, in tonight, what I want to talk about, about naming and unnaming, I want to talk about our mind. So I want to talk about, about um, what Zen is asking us to do, which is to leave our tangled, confused mind and gain greater clarity. Gain the actual experience of greater clarity for ourselves. That's what it means to arrive at the moon. And we might think that that's the end result. But actually, when we get to the moon and we touch this clarity, we realize that the journey isn't over. That the moon is really kind of a foreign environment and that we need to actually go home again. We need to take that clarity back with us, back full circle, back to the earth, and now apply it in our lives. So we make this heroic journey out to the moon to think we've arrived at something, whatever that is that we touched. And then once we touch that, we look back at the earth, the beautiful earth, and we think, oh my gosh, I can't stay here in this foreign land. I need to come back to the earth and apply this in my life with the people I live with to help all beings. So our whole journey isn't from A to B, starting at A and going to B, our whole journey is really starting at A, moving on this long journey, arriving at B, and then coming back to A, transformed, same place we were before, but from a completely different perspective. So this is our practice. We move away from home, we are transformed, and we return home to live our transformation. This is like going to the moon and back. So, one such journey that we can take is uh, learning to live with our unruly mind. And that's what I want to talk about. So we have the practice of naming. And this is the, one of the practices we use to tame our unruly mind. We go to the moon of naming and find a different relationship with our mind. So I want to talk about that first, and then I want to talk about what we do on the way back in order to integrate that. Okay. So, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that um, our mind is this place of terrible confusion. It just makes a mess of things. It's, it's got its own life. It's not like it's our mind. It's like, uh, it's like a mind that is a TV that's always playing. 
and, and you can maybe change the channel, but it's pretty hard to turn off. It's just always going. So I don't think anybody's surprised that to, about this. We all have this. And, and then this mind, it just jumps from thought to sensation to emotion to judgment. It's, it's one thing after the other. And we call this monkey mind because it's like a monkey jumping from branch to branch. It's a big endless blur, a big tangled knot, endless activity. In practice, we call this samsara. We could call it delusion. We could call it dis-ease. But it's a fundamental human quality. We all share this mind. So we meditate. And we meditate in an effort to tame the unruly mind. We set the, set the intention to sit down on the cushion and simply observe it. So when we do that, what do we see? Well, I think what we see, at least initially, and probably for a very long time, is that we don't actually see much at all. We, we intend to sit there and observe our mind, but we are absolutely captivated and captured by it. So despite our intention to sit there and observe it, what actually happens is we get consumed by it. You know, there's even, there's even lots of phrases that, 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 that tell us this. You know, we say we're blind with anger, that we're consumed with anger. We're lovesick. We don't just love something, we're lovesick. We're consumed by it. Um, even sensations, like I'm dying of thirst. You know, it, it's just a complete consumption. We don't do very well at actually sitting there and observing what's happening in our mind. We instantly get consumed by our mind. So let's stop for a second. Let's take a look at our minds and let's see what's actually happening right now in our minds. And I'd be really happy if, if you wanted to share what you find. Well, just, just take a moment and watch your mind. What's going on in there? Anybody willing to put a name on what they find? Just go ahead and just unmute yourself and chime in. Planning and judging. Planning and judging, beautiful. A human thing. What's going on is, come on, John, I was just so happy to just have to listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> and not handle my mind for a, a few minutes. <laughs> so, so uh, Catherine, what would you name that? What what name do you give that thought? I think it was an emotion. Mm -hmm. And what is the emotion? I, um, I cannot name it in English. It's too. I, I don't know. It's okay. Give I us a French name. name. It's okay. Give it. Give us the name you would give it, in French. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Um, 
a little bit of annoyment and and it was a little bit annoying. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Annoyance, I love it. Great, thank yep. you. Thanks for staying with me on that. Anybody else? Uh, what did you What did you find? I, I would like to say. May I say? Yeah. Uh, absurd. Absurdity. Uh -huh. Absurdity. <laughs> When you said, I'm lovesick, I'm dying if there is, oh my gosh, absurdity uh -huh. in our minds. Great. You, you observed it as being absurd. Yes. Great. Thank you, Sherry. Well, is, is anybody else, anything burning you got to, got to tell us, Margo, would you have something? No, it's okay. not, it's not burning. I was just going to say. I, I found I found myself eventually laughing. I was so amused at <laughs> the silliness of it. <laughs> it's quite a powerful show, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. We need to go to the circus. We got three rings right inside our head. So um, what we just did is really the, the the practice that that will take us to this moon of 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 a. A new way of seeing. It's the practice of naming what's going on. You know, if if we can't name it, it's so confused and tangled we can't really see it. It's just this big blur. But if we can start to piece it apart a little bit and name what's happening, then then it starts to be a little bit more manageable. So let's talk about the process of naming our experience. So it's a three-step process. The first step is to become mindful of what is happening. So, when we, so this is what we do when we sit on the cushion, right? We, we make the intention to simply become aware of what is happening. We may see sensations in our body. We may see thoughts. We might see emotions. We might just see uh, per, sense perceptions of different kinds. But that's the first step. We have to decide to, be, to pay attention, to be mindful of what's actually happening. Okay, now the second step is to allow what we see to be there. Very often when we see it, especially if we don't like it, we'll instantly turn away from it. <clears throat> Excuse me. So for instance, if I see jealousy. Oh, that's bad. I don't want to be jealous. I, I can't, I'm not, not me. So I'm going to turn away from it. No, but the second step is to allow it, to let it be there. <clears throat> this takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage. And it takes kindness too. Wow. I feel that way. I'm a little embarrassed to admit I feel that way. Hmm. So we become aware or mindful, and then we allow it to be there, and then we give it a name. <clears throat> this is where you can be a little bit creative. You know, sometimes uh, the name can be very broad. It could be a name like feeling, or a name like um, sensing, or thinking, or it might be a uh, a little bit more specific. This is anger. This is humiliation. 
practices happiness. And, and I think it's kind of up to you to decide how specific you want to be with the naming. What does it, what does it do? I know that for myself, one of the things I noticed when I started naming my experience is that what came up for me a lot was this feeling of being oppressed. And, and I knew that was from my early childhood, but it was so interesting for me to be able to label every time I felt oppressed um, because it happens so often. So it was really useful for me to label that feeling of being oppressed over and over. But, you know, I trust you to, to, to look at the patterns and, and see how best to label for yourself. Um, so like, for instance, if we're experiencing anger, the, the first step, of course, is to, to know that it's present. The second step is to allow it to be there by not ruminating on our anger. And, and then the third one is we name the experience as anger. Well, it sounds pretty simple. Sounds pretty simple. What I, what I find with this naming process is it breaks that swept away cycle. You know how we were earlier talking about how we just get swept away by what comes into our experience? This helps break the swept away cycle. You know, if you think of this rumination as a circle going around and around and around, it doesn't matter very much where you break it, but it does matter that you break it somewhere. You have to slice into that rumination cycle somewhere. So naming is a really great way for us to do that. So when we do, when we do it, it, it helps, it helps us um, if we don't, if we withdraw our belief from what it is that we see is there. You know, like if we, if we're angry, we withdraw, at least temporarily, the belief that my anger is right, that I'm, I'm righteously angry. You know, just if we can withdraw that, that really helps. Just hold that in suspense for a while. You know, same with our, our judgment or um, our need to solve. We can just agree to hold that a while and not believe it. So shall we practice naming for a minute? Shall we come back into our, into our body and see what's there, just be, be with ourselves? And see what arises and see if you can offer it a name. Do that three-step. Become aware, allow, offer it a name. Then as soon as you offer it a name, then return right away to awareness again. Then allow, offer it a name, let go and return to awareness. Notice, allow, name, and return to noticing.
Anyone want to share what uh, anything that came up during that process? What did you see? Well, I can share. I, I think I felt uh, that I go in and out of feeling if I'm mm. aware and notice. You know, if I allow, then I allow the feeling of the sensation, the emotion. And then as soon as I become more aware of it, it's uh, one step removed and then I don't feel it anymore. Interesting. So naming separates you from it a little bit? Definitely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Was that, was that, um, did that feel like it was a positive separation or did it feel like it was a negative separation? Uh, well, I guess it could be both. You know, I think sometimes feeling it, you need to feel it for a reason. Uh, and then, but if you separate it, it keeps it at a distance. Mm -hmm. I think it's hard to, for me to be, feel it and aware of it because being aware puts me in a cognitive space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. Great observation, Sarah. Thanks. Anyone else? This is Catherine. I was uh, surprised on how fast it was changing. My first experience was a deep calm and the second after it was it was gone. And it took me a little bit while to know what was, was showing up was a sensation or a feeling or both. It was kind of a little bit hard to name too. Uh, Something that's... that was overwhelming. Yeah, and, and I really like the way you described that. Um, it, I share that experience in that when I first start this process, I don't know what I'm seeing, really. You know, it's like people who are experts at things. They see so much more deeply into things than people who are not experts in it. You know, like, like if you're an art expert, for instance, you see things in the art that, that I don't see as not an art expert. Um, and you just refine your ability to see. So I, I think I'm hearing that you're, that you're experiencing that. When you first look and try to name, it's hard to actually perceive what's happening. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, great. Great. Well, so this is a skill that we can, that we can develop and we can make this a part of our practice. Um, it's, a, it's a part of our practice that, that can be on our cushion to simply resolve to become aware, allow, and name. And we may do this for weeks or months or years and find some real benefit from it. So I would, I would encourage you to try this practice yourself and see. Uh, and I also want to talk about the, the, the return trip from the moon. So we've made it to the moon with this practice. And, and we've, we've, we've come to see that naming things is a really powerful, powerful uh, experience. But have we really arrived? You know, is, the, is, is our life 
going to be like that for the rest of our life? Are we going to go through our life like Sarah said, by naming it, we sort of di distance ourselves from it? Um, isn't there more? It, do we really want to live on the moon like that and spend all our, all our time labeling our experience? So maybe that's not the end point. Maybe that's, maybe we just get the clarification of naming, but we need to bring that back to earth. We need to bring that naming practice back into our tangled lives and live in a way that is transformed by the naming practice, but not caught there. When we see into the tangle of our mind, it doesn't actually untie the knots that we see. We see that they're there, but we still have to make another step to begin to untangle them. And naming by itself doesn't do that. Naming just says, oh, here's what the tangle looks like. Now what do we do about untangling it? So as we journey back home from the moon, from our naming, what we start to practice on the way home is what we call in Buddhism signlessness. Signlessness. It's the practice of unnaming. So the Buddha taught us to see beyond something's sign, beyond something's name. The sign is simply a label that we apply to a very complex reality. It's an oversimplification of something very complicated. So if we're caught in signs, we're only seeing the surface. So what's an example of this? Um, I think right now we are going through the process of seeing through the sign of race. All across the world, we're going through this process together. So how, what are we doing? We created signs around race long ago. We've noticed that people looked different when they lived in different places. And so as kind of a, a quick shorthand, we decided, oh, if your skin is this color, you're that race. If your eyes are shaped this way, you're that race. We, we gave signs to people so that we had a shorthand that we could deal with them in. Uh, we used race to name our experience, just like we were doing with our minds. You know, every time we name anger, if we could have 10 different anger experiences, but we give them all one, one, one name, anger, it doesn't do justice. There are 10 different things. But we use that sign of anger on that. So signlessness uh, helps us see beyond the sign of race, like we're doing in our, in our culture right now. You know, we can see that our fellow humans are not black or white or Asian humans we see instead the essential elements of their humanity that are hiding behind the sign that we put on them. It doesn't erase their experiences, the deep complex experiences that they have because their skin is a different color. It doesn't deny that. But what it says is by simply seeing the sign on the surface, 
we're not seeing deeply enough into the reality of that person. So that's, that's how a sign works. It's a shorthand. And if we think that using the shorthand is actually describing the thing we're seeing, we're mistaken. So how do we practice this signlessness on our long trip back from the moon to the earth? Well, it's really very, very similar to how we practice naming. It's a three-step process. So the first step, again, we become mindful of the sign. We notice when we're assigning a simple label to a complex reality. You're a bad person. That's a simple label to a complex reality. We just become aware when we do that. The next thing we do is that we allow the sign to be present. So that's the second step, allowing again. Allow the sign to be present. You know, we don't want to turn away from it right away. Sometimes signs serve us. You know, scientists have made huge advances by assigning signs to things and testing around those. They've really, they've really moved our technology forward by using signs. So signs aren't necessarily a bad thing. Um, and we have to often live in a, a world of signs. We have to make quick decisions. And it's so much easier when we, when we have a sign of something and instead of trying to see really deeply into things. We have to recognize types of things. You know, I have to see, I have to look and see, is that snake a rattlesnake or a garter snake? I need to see the sign of that snake, you know, right away so I can, so I can make a choice. So it's not like, like we look at a sign and we say, oh, that's bad, it's got to go away. We have to, we can allow the sign to be there so we can, we can see it. So the first step, become aware of the sign. Second step is allow the sign to be present. And the third step then is to look deeply so that we can use the insight of interbeing to go beyond the sign. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh uses lots of beautiful poetic ways for us to, to see this. For instance, he asks us to see the flower in the compost and the compost in the flower. He asks us to see the mud in the lotus and the lotus in the mud. He asks us to see the cloud in our tea and to see our tea in the cloud. This is the practice of seeing interbeing, looking beyond the signs. And even more deeply, if we want to, we can begin to wonder about the sign of self and other. Is there really someone perceiving something? Is that true? Interbeing tells us that that's not true. That when I think I see something, it's really the unity seeing the unity, the wholeness seeing the wholeness. We are perceiver and perceived, subject and object. Signlessness makes no distinctions and no separations. So this is the other half of the paradox. 
naming and unnaming. So how do we use these? How do we use these? After we've made this trip all the way out from Earth to the moon, touched naming, and now made the trip all the way back to Earth, and we now have touched signlessness, how do we actually live? How do we make use of this information? Well, we live back on Earth by living in the balance between these two paradoxical opposites. You know, we'll find that when we get back on Earth, our mind is just as tangled as, as when we left, because that's what a human mind is. But we're, we're, we, we're okay with it because we're not caught in either extreme anymore. We're not caught, we don't go to the edges. We lean into naming when naming is necessary. And then we lean into signlessness and interbeing when interbeing and signlessness are necessary. That gives us the ability to live freely in this chaotic world, not stuck to either extreme, flowing easily. So this is Zen practice, standing with one foot in, in both sides of a paradox, flowing with it. You know, I, I, I do koan study uh, still, and this is what almost every koan points to to see that you are a name and you are a non-name. You are an, a unique individual and you are all things, all at the same moment. This is what koans give you. you know, this is that phrase in Zen, this is it. This is what it's pointing to. You know, at the same time, we name this and we name it and we see beyond this and it. That this and it are the same thing. So this is how we live when we return from the moon. Simple, huh? <laughs> as always, as always, Thich Nhat Hanh sums it all up in, in the simplest of phrases. And he said, living this way is, is, is saying, I have arrived, I am home. I have arrived, I am home. So thanks for staying with me on this one. Uh, I know I took us to some um, pretty paradoxical and strange territory. Uh, Gail, maybe we could have the sound of the bell and then open this up for the wisdom of the Sangha. <laughs> 